our greatest need in light of God's sovereignty is not to understand his ways, but to trust him. When my youngest child was just a little girl, she was out in the backyard playing, swinging on our swing set. And as she had a tendency to do, she took one great swing going backwards and then forward. And at the greatest point of that forward swing, she jumped off, beautifully planted her feet on the ground. And she was a gymnast. It would have been a 10 for a dismount. She turned around. And what do swings do? They swing back. And then they swing forward, smack, hit her right in the mouth. And my young child said this, ouch, why did God plan that? Maybe today you are saying, ouch, why is God planning this in my life? Why this pandemic and all of the drastic changes that have come about because of it. But I'm convinced if it, if we didn't have a pandemic and life was normal, like the days before this outbreak, we would have plenty for which to say, ouch, why did God do that? I have found in many circumstances baffled over why God does what he does. It, I struggle to make sense out of what God is doing in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of our church, even in our world. There are many situations where we say, ouch, why did God plan that? And today I want to encourage us from Scripture in this, because God is sovereign and we're not, our greatest need is not to understand His ways, but to trust Him. And we're returning to our series on the book of Deuteronomy. We'll be looking at one verse, actually we'll be looking at the first part of one verse, chapter 29 and verse 29. There, Moses teaches that God has a secret will that we cannot know. In fact, to put it bluntly, his secret will is none of our business. It's God's business. But what is our business, and we'll look at this next week as we look at the second part of verse 29. Uh, we will look at this second part next week. But what is our business is his revealed will, that which he has given to us in his word that we might know him, know his law, know his commandments, know how we are to live. And so today we'll look at the first part of verse 29, God's secret will, and also turn to a passage that accompanies verse 29 in my judgment, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. And you'll find these, both of these scriptures printed on your order of service. I would like to pray and then we'll turn to God's word. Father, as we struggle to grapple with 
your sovereignty in light of our circumstances, many of us asking, why did you plan this? It makes no sense to me. I pray today that even in our struggle and grappling with these questions, that we might be driven to you, not to try and figure out your secret will, but that we might be driven to you in faith to trust you more. And so, oh God, I plead with you to work your word in our hearts today. May all that I say be true. May you be pleased to work through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now God's word for God's people. First, Deuteronomy 29, 29, then Ecclesiastes 7, verses 13 and 14. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Ecclesiastes, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the souls. May our soul be revived this morning that we would further affirm God as sovereign and ever trust Him more. Our outline is very simple, just two points this morning. The first point is God is sovereign and we are not. And the second point, God is sovereign and our greatest need is not to understand Him and His ways, but to trust Him. God is sovereign, and we are not. Over 30 years of pastoral ministry, and I'm sneaking up on 63 years of life living on this earth, I have faced my share of adversity and suffering. Now, compared to others, my struggles are relatively small. I've had it relatively easy, but still difficulty and adversity has not passed me by. I have often struggled to get my head around why these circumstances of adversity have come upon me. And in particular, it's difficult for me to understand, while in the midst of a trial, affirming that God is sovereign, affirming that he is all about his glory, but in the midst of a trial, sometimes it is hard for me to see how, A, God is going to be glorified in this adversity, and B, how it is ever going to be used for my good. And even after suffering an adversity, I'm thinking just to myself of a number of situations within my family, a number of situations within our church family, where after a time of adversity, 
looking back on it, in hindsight, being able to see God was faithful, being able to see, yes, spiritual growth took place, being able to say there's, there was benefit from that adversity, but still, even with hindsight, it is hard for me to connect the dots. Why did I or we have to go through that adversity? Ouch. Why did God plan that? Rabbi Kushner, who wrote the, the bestseller in 1981, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, he got the title right. It's not if bad things happen, but when. So that's a positive with this book. But he seeks to comfort the sufferer by describing God as good, amen, but Kirshner says he simply is not powerful enough to intervene in our lives. So God is good, Kirshner would say, but he also says God is not sovereign. He is not all-powerful. His view of God is contrary to the Bible, and quite frankly, his view of God brings absolutely no comfort or hope to the sufferer. The biblical truth is that God is sovereign, and the implication and the experience of that is that is of great comfort, that brings hope that brings peace, that brings perspective to the sufferer. And I have found that to be true in my life. As I struggle and grapple with, ouch, why did God plan that? The fact that He did plan it, the fact that He is sovereign, is hopeful to me, is soothing to me, is healing to me, enables me to have a perspective that it goes well beyond the circumstance itself. Moses points to God's sovereignty in Deuteronomy 29, 29. God's secret or decreative will, that is the, the will of His decrees, as I said, is none of our business. Though we try to make it our business Time and time again, and as we'll see next week, this is one of the points that Moses will make, is that the secret things belong to God. Don't try to figure it out. You focus on what God has revealed to you. That's your business. But for today, Moses reminds us of our limitations, that God has a secret will. God decrees whatsoever comes to pass, and we cannot know it in advance. We can't see the future. And even after whatever God has decreed in any particular situation comes about and happens and we experience, as I said earlier, years later we look back and we still can't know all that was part of that particular decree of God. And all of this is simply to say that God is sovereign and that His ways are higher than our ways, we are often left perplexed with why God decrees what He decrees, why we 
suffer in the ways that we do, we say, ouch, why did God plan that? But we need to remember that the why did God plan that is part of His secret will that we can never fully know. I love what John Calvin says about Moses' teaching on God's secret will. The great reformer John Calvin said, when God closes his mouth, I will desist to or from inquiry. In other words, I'm not going to try and figure out what God has not revealed to me, but what only God knows. So God is sovereign and we are not. We cannot know all that's going on with God's secret will, His will of decree. And Ecclesiastes also points to God's sovereignty. The preacher describes the wise person because Ecclesiastes 7, 13, and 14 are within that context of Ecclesiastes of teaching on wisdom. And here the preacher describes the wise person as one who considers the work of God. Chapter 7, verse 13, the first part of it. It's a singular work, according to the preacher. The preacher desires, and by the way, the preacher is the author of Ecclesiastes. The, the, the preacher desires his readers to specifically, I believe, consider God's sovereign decrees. That is the work to which the preacher refers. It's the same work, the same will that Moses is talking about in Deuteronomy. And we actually find this to be true within the body of the text. The preacher describes the, in, in the rest of this verse that, that God ordains circumstances, that He ordains circumstances that are prosperous, but He also ordains circumstances that would be described as adversity. They are crooked, and we cannot straighten out those crooked things that God has brought into our lives. With our most persistent effort, we can't straight, straighten them out. The preacher says in verse 14, Ecclesiastes 7, 14, that God ordains prosperity and adversity, crookedness. He is sovereign, and we are not. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes beautifully the teaching of God's sovereignty, His eternal decrees, as well as God's providential care of all that He has created. Question 7 of our Shorter Catechism asks this, what are the decrees of God? And the answer given that's rooted in Scripture, the decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. There is nothing outside of God's coordination, His sovereign will. And then question 11, what are the works of God's providence? And the answer, God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God is at work today. He is not the God of Rabbi Kushner, a God who's good, 
but not powerful. No, God is powerfully working today. He is sovereign over all. He is providentially working in the decisions of men and women and children. He's providentially working in nature, in history. He is ruling over all. He sets up kingdoms. He takes them down. God is providentially working in suffering. He is there. We'll, we'll look at Job 38, where God speaks to Job in the whirlwind. God is there with Job. And God is there with us in the midst of suffering. He's not the God of Rabbi Kushner. He's a sovereign God who has decreed whatsoever comes to pass. And he is a God who is working, governing, and sustaining his creation. Praise God for that. What hope we have as his people. And I would like to look for just, just a couple of scriptures. I mentioned Job, Job chapter 38, but look at Job chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things, says Job. The one who, has, who suffered, maybe second only to Jesus as much as anyone. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is sovereign and we're not. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will. God is sovereign and we are not. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36 that, that Bob read earlier, speaking about the fact that God's judgments are unsearchable, his ways are inscrutable. We cannot know all that is behind the judgments and the ways of God. And I love this. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Moses in Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, You can't know the mind of the Lord, that which he has chosen not to reveal. And these scriptures and many more in the Bible lead us to these observations, these truth statements about God's sovereign and we are not. God's secret will generally is understood consisting of his eternal plan for his creation, that grand plan that he is fulfilling and will fulfill completely. Everything, big and small, Pandemics and a common cold have been ordained and foreordained by God. They are part under His sovereign will. Every sinful action of men and of angels occur according to God's decree. While we say God is sovereign over evil, He's sovereign over tragedy and sin and sickness, He's sovereign over the fall. But the scriptures are clear that God is not the author of sin. Man is responsible for sin. Adam was a free moral agent. Adam and Eve had perfect free will before the fall. They had the liberty to obey God. They had the liberty to disobey God. They had the ability to obey God and the disability, the ability to disobey God. It resulted in disability. And Adam chose 
Your thumb is nose at God. Adam chose to sin. Man is responsible for sin. But God is sovereign even over that choice. Everything was ordained, is ordained for the purpose of God working through that which he has ordained to fulfill his purposes, to bring about his plan, all for his glory and for the good of his people. That which God has ordained cannot be altered. It will come to pass. God is sovereign, and we are not. And Moses even makes the we are not part even more understandable when the whole point that he's making in Deuteronomy 29, 29 is to remind the people that they are limited. They can never know the future. They can never know God's will, what, what God has planned, that, that secret, the creative will. They can't know that. Man is limited. And to seek to know that is a fool's errand. In fact, the text seems to indicate that it's prohibited. In fact, the scriptures tell us in Deuteronomy that fortune-telling, trying to tell the future, is a prohibited activity in Israel with a punishment. Trying to plumb the depths of God's secret will is, as one commentator put it, an unwarranted invasion of God's privacy. God is sovereign, we are not, we are limited. Ecclesiastes 7.13 emphasizes the fact that God is sovereign and we are not. We can't straighten what God has ordained crooked, what crookedness God has brought into our lives. And by the way, this verse 13 here, God bringing crookedness into our lives. When we come to Jesus and we're united to him in faith and repentance, we're put on the straight and narrow, right? <laughs> There's one way to heaven is through Jesus. And we're not to turn to the left or to the right. But that straight and narrow, that life of following Christ, that life of being a disciple, has all kinds of ups and downs and adversity. We're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're called to a life of suffering. There's a lot of crookedness in that straight way. But it's not for punishment. It's not for God to laugh at how silly we are. It's not for God to get back at us all the times we've disobeyed Him. It is for a holy purpose that we'll look at in just a few moments. God has a purpose for the crookedness in our lives as we are by His grace on the straight and narrow way as followers of Jesus Christ. This is why people who think all their problems will be solved once they come to Jesus have got it very, very wrong. There is innumerable joys in coming to Christ. There is peace that we simply can't conjure up enough words to describe the glory of that peace in coming to Christ. But it is a difficult life because God 
is more concerned with our holiness than he is with our happiness. And the primary way he brings about holiness in the lives of his people is to use the tool of crookedness to sanctify them. God is sovereign. And he has willed for his people to be holy. And he is making them holy, never complete in this life. But one day in heaven, it will be complete. The crookedness of life is unalterable. And when we try to straighten out that which God has made crooked, we are literally trying, we can't, but we're trying to take God's tool out of his hand to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. The crookedness of life or circumstances could be sin, but not necessarily. It could be just about any adversity may not even be our fault, but yet it's there. It's a trial. It, it's a situation in which we struggle. And how many times have I said, well, if it were up to me, if I was king of the universe, I wouldn't do it that way. And as my wife said this morning in our prayer with others before the service, Aren't you glad I'm not God? <laughs> God's, God knows what we need. God knows what it's going to take for us to be holy. And he brings this crookedness in our life. And though we're constantly trying to straighten out what God has made crooked, we're trying to make sense out of what God is doing. We're, we're trying to fit what God is doing into our desires by straightening it out, the point of the preacher is to show we cannot straighten it out. We cannot make sense much of the time out of what God is doing. God has ordained it, and it cannot be straightened, but he's ordained it for our good and for his glory. Isaiah 14, 27, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Our greatest need in light of God's sovereignty is not to understand his ways, but to trust Him. And trusting Him is our second point this morning, to which we will now consider. God is sovereign, and we must trust Him. This week, I heard a young uh, pastor on a podcast. I was practicing social distancing on a run, and I typically listen to World Magazine's The World and Everything in It, wonderful podcast, get caught up on the news. And they also interview people in all sorts of professions and all sorts of situations. And they interviewed this young pastor and along with his wife really facing adversity 
as we all are facing adversity in the throes of this pandemic, he recently started a new church plan. If you know anything about church planning, you know that the bread and butter, the work of the church planter is to be out in public, making contacts, pressing the flesh, building relationships. And so he was about that. He was gathering a core group. There was excitement. The church plant seemed to be on a, on a steep trajectory, succeeding. And the pandemic hit. And in his state, the order to shelter in place was given. And in an instant, the church plant had to move from in-person gathering people to doing the best they can, by the way, like we're doing, online, Facebook streaming, Zoom, and some other video conferencing technologies. His wife, two months from graduating from nursing school, and the pandemic hit. She was, while in school, was working in patient care at a local hospital. And they have a newborn child in their home. And not only is this young pastor, the husband, trying to keep this church plant going as best he can, but his wife is every day going to the hospital to care for patients being exposed to the coronavirus, having to navigate coming home and making sure she is not spreading that virus to her family, fearful over contracting the virus herself, not to mention her graduation from nursing school has an uncertain future at this point. Fear, uncertainty, adversity in this one young family's life. Can you identify with them? In ways we all can identify with the dynamic that is going on in that home. But this young pastor said something that at first caught me off guard and I thought, this guy, I'm not sure if that's, that's biblically right. But I, I think he makes a profound point. In the midst of the fear of his church plant failing, the fear of his wife contracting COVID-19, the uncertainty that is like a whirlwind in that home, he said this, God will not protect you from what he is using to perfect you. God will not protect you. Now, wait a minute. We've been saying God is our protector, and he is. God is going to care for us, and he will, and he does. God protects his people. But this pastor's point is that while God protects his people, he also sanctifies his people. And adversity is one of his tools to sanctify. God will not protect 
you from what he is using to perfect you. These are words, I believe, that are rooted in a perspective of God is sovereign and we are not. And our greatest need is not to understand God's ways, but to trust him. To trust that he is working to sanctify us, to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. And so I want to end with just several concluding statements with regards to God is sovereign and we are not. Our greatest need is not to understand His ways, but to trust Him. Ouch! Why did God plan that? Maybe James was dealing with that very statement. The preacher of Ecclesiastes maybe was reflecting upon a statement similar to that when he spoke about God's work of bringing adversity, crookedness into our lives. And from a New Testament perspective, God doing that to perfect us, to make us complete in Christ. James wrote this, Count it all joy, my brothers. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trust God's purposes for using trials and adversity to perfect us and make us complete in Christ. Ouch! Why did God do that? I'm convinced the prophet Habakkuk said something similar to that. The second point I want to make is this. Not only do we trust God's purposes for trials, but we trust God when everything around us has collapsed. That really is where the prophet Habakkuk found himself. This was our profession of faith. I'll read it again because it's, it's such a beautiful hymn of faith. As everything was collapsing around Habakkuk, the crops were not coming in, the, the livestock was not there. Life, as Habakkuk knew it, seemed to be over. And yet that experience brought him to the place of trusting God when everything else was lost. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray and sing and recite this same prayer of faith today. As it seems like things will never return to normal in our life, whatever normal was. And it seems like 
the economy and our bank account and our health is collapsing all around us. But I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will trust God when everything around me seems to be collapsing. And then thirdly, ouch, why did God do that? Trust God to fulfill his eternal plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a passage I've turned to often the last month or so. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then the passage that was also part of the scripture reading or the uh, uh, elder scripture reading this morning, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, God has a plan. And he is bringing about his plan. And we're called to trust him as he fulfills his plan. We're called to trust him when everything around us looks like it's collapsing. We're called to trust him in the midst of a trial that he is using that trial to perfect us and to complete us in Christ Jesus. I'm encouraged by Andrew Murray's perspective on what we've been talking about today, just as we look at God's sovereignty, the fact that we are not and the greatest need we have is to trust God. Back in 1895, Andrew Murray wrote this, and it's so appropriate for today. In times of trouble, say first, he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place. And we might say it is by his will that we're in this crooked place on this straight way of following Jesus. And that I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child and we need that grace don't we to keep following Jesus faithfully then say he will make the trial a blessing teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow and last say I am here by God's appointment in his keeping, under his training, for his time. Ouch! Why did God plan that? Our greatest need in light of God's sovereignty is not to understand his ways, but to trust him. Amen. Let us pray. God our Father, we are grateful that you are faithful. We are grateful that you are sovereign. We are grateful, oh God, that you have ordained whatsoever comes to pass. We are grateful that you have a plan and that you're bringing your plan about for your glory and for our good. And so we ask you, oh God, Jesus, to enable us to trust you more, 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.